Gail Williams was born in Zimbabwe in 1973. She moved to England with her mother to complete high school, and then she moved back to South Africa where she studied OT at uni. She then moved back to London where she was working with disabled children. But in that journey, particularly in her time in London, Gail's heart was really drawn as a young woman to Afghanistan. She'd heard about what was happening. This was in, uh, uh, at the time of the, the war in Afghanistan. She'd heard about what was happening, and particularly what was happening to children there. there. There were children who were displaced by the war. There, was a lot of, uh, there were a lot of disabled children who were, uh, who were disabled by the war, particularly by landmines that were all over Afghanistan at the time. And so she moved. She picked up her life and moved to Afghanistan in 2006 to work with disabled children, particularly to work alongside those children who were orphaned and those children who were maimed, particularly by landmines. It was really difficult and sad work. She saw a lot of heartbreak, but it was incredibly rewarding at the same time. That was until the 20th of December 2008 when she was walking to work down the same route uh, in Kabul that she walked every day when two men rode past her on a motorbike with automatic weapons and opened fire. And Gail Williams died on the sidewalk in Kabul at the age of 34 years of age. The Taliban claimed responsibility for her death saying that she was killed, and this I quote from a Taliban uh, message, she was killed because she was working for an organisation which was preaching Christianity in Afghanistan. That's how Gail Williams died. Like every church, well, I guess like every church, we spent December talking about the birth of a baby. Remember Christmas? Remember that whole thing? Christmas is over and we're spending this first part of January asking ourselves, what happened to the baby? What happened to the baby? Because the baby grew up, that's really no surprise. But what is surprising is that we are still talking about the baby that grew up. I mean, think about it. How many people do you know who were born 2,000 years ago? Anyone know any of the names of the Chinese emperors of the Han Dynasty? Any of them? Hugely powerful guys born about 2,000 years ago. Anyone know the last Egyptian pharaoh? He was born just over 2,000 years ago. Anyone know? How about Aristotle? You heard of him? He was a Greek philosopher, burnt, but a few nods. Anyone know anything about the guy? Know his wife's name? Know where he lived? Know when he was born? Most people born 2,000 years ago, you've never heard anything about. And yet Jesus is a household name. How is that? How, how does that happen? What was it that was different about Jesus from all those other people? I mean, think about it. Jesus never ruled anything. He actually never had a formal position of authority at all. He never won a war. He never wrote anything, never published anything, never built anything. He never traveled more than a couple of hundred kilometers from the place that he was born. And yet 2,000 years after his life and death, 
almost everyone knows who Jesus is. And most people, even if they've never been to any kind of church, know at least a couple of details about his life. But more than that, more than that, not only do people know him, people are willing to die for him. People are literally willing to give up their lives for this guy. Why is that? What is it about this man? What is it about Jesus that makes him a household name? What is it about Jesus that makes people willing to die for him? That's the question that we're going to ask in this series that we're kicking off our year with. What is it that makes Jesus memorable? What is it that made Jesus so different? What is it that makes Jesus worth dying for? We started last week talking about the the radically different kind of love that Jesus talked about and lived out. He talked about a kind of love, a kind of sacrificial love, a kind of love that wasn't about me and what I get, but about me and what I can give. And today I want to talk about the way that Jesus redefined community. The way that he redefined belonging and friendship and family and connection between people. Because Jesus grew up in a very divided world. There were people who were in and there are people who were out. He grew up as as a Jew in the nation of Israel. Other Jews were in. The Romans were out. Actually, in fact, anyone who wasn't a Jew was out. But even within the nation, uh, uh, within the Jewish nation, there were people who were in and there were people who were out. There were people who were good and there were people who were kind of not good. You know, there were people who dressed right and acted right, who hung out with the right people, and there were people who didn't. Some things haven't changed a lot in 2,000 years, you know. There were people who were good with God. You know, people thought they they kind of ticked all the right boxes and did all the right things and said all the right things and, and there were people who didn't and who weren't good with God. But Jesus lived very differently from the world that he lived in. He hung out with All kinds of people. I mean, just look at his 12 closest mates. We often call them the disciples, but this was just his circle, right? Simon and Andrew were fishermen. It was like tradies in today's culture, right? These were the the blue-collar workers. They they didn't go on to higher education. They just worked jobs, and and, that, that was what a fisherman was in his culture. Matthew was a tax collector. Everyone hated tax collectors. I mean, if you wanted to be cool, don't hang out with a tax collector. You know, if you wanted to start a group that other people wanted to join, don't bring a tax collector into the circle. (laughs) Simon was a zealot. Anyone actually know what a zealot was? They they were were an an actor, well, not quite a ninja. Um, They were a political activist that took violent or military means to get done what they wanted done. So a a zealot was someone who was really anti the Roman occupation, really anti the Roman Empire, and they were fighting, they were physically fighting against the Romans. Today, we might call that person a terrorist. 
Jesus had dinner with prostitutes. But then on the other side, he healed a servant of a Roman soldier. Remember, Romans were out. He touched lepers. No one one touched anyone with leprosy. You might catch something. Kind of like COVID and masks, you know. It was that that whole thing. 1.5 metres, stay away. He talked to women. These things might not seem like much of a deal to us today and you might read it and go, yeah, that's all right. But the point I'm making is that in Jesus' culture at that time, he crossed every socially acceptable barrier there was. He was hanging out with everyone that in that world, everyone who was uncool and unworthy and wrong in just about every way someone could be wrong. And it didn't just happen once or twice. In fact, do you know when you, when you read through the stories uh, of the life of Jesus, it's, they're written down in Matthew, Mark and Luke and John. Do you know almost every story, almost every one, is, is in a context of Jesus talking with someone or healing someone or hanging out with someone or being with someone who was not the kind of person that Jesus should have been with. Almost every single story. Luke did a lot of research into Jesus' life, talked to eyewitnesses, checked facts. And 50 years or so after Jesus' death and resurrection, he wrote a biography of the life of Jesus. We've got it. It's in our Bibles. It's the book of Luke. He shares this story. You'll find it in Luke chapter 10, beginning verse 25. On one occasion, an expert of the law... That's code for someone who ticked all the right boxes. This was a person who was in, right? In, in every way you could be in. On one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law? Jesus replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbour as yourself. He'd heard Jesus saying this before. He knew what the right answer was that Jesus needed to hear. Jesus says, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, talking about the, uh, the expert in the law, but he wanted to justify himself. He wanted to go the extra step. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbour? You know, you say love your neighbour. Who is my neighbour? I want to get down the details. I want to know exactly who I can love and who I don't have to love. <laughs> and in reply, Jesus said this. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, walking along the road, when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest, another person who was in, ticked all the boxes. A priest happened to be going down the same road. What luck. And when he saw the man, remember, the guy's naked, bleeding, half dead on the side of the road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side, took a wide berth and kept going. So too a Levite, another religious guy who was also in. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. 
But a Samaritan, and we won't go into the whole story, but just trust me when I say out, right? Massive, big out. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. That might not sound like a great idea to you, but in that culture, that was obviously a good thing. Then he put the man on his own donkey and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, so he's obviously taken care of him overnight. The next day, he took two denarii, however you say that, which is a decent amount of money. And he gave them to the innkeeper and he said, look after them. In other words, I'm paying for him to stay here. I'm paying for you to keep looking after him. And when I return, I'm going on my way when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense. In other words, he gave him an, a blank check. He said, keep looking at, do whatever this man needs. I'm giving you a chunk of money now and then I'm going to come back. And if it's even more than that, I'll pay more. Back to Jesus, verse 36. He says, which of these three, the priest, the Levite, it's not a hard question, there's no tricks here. Which of these three, the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And when one of Jesus' frequent kind of drop the mic moments, Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. Jesus was unbelievably clear about who was in and who was out. And he redefined in in a way that said everyone is in. No one was out. When, when Jesus defined community, when, when he drew his circle of friendship, he drew the biggest circle he could. He drew a circle that surrounded every person he met. But here's what I want you to see. Jesus just didn't stop at acceptance. Because often what we do in our world today is we kind of stop at acceptance, don't we? I'm going to stay here in my little circle. Those, but they're okay. Those people out there who are different, they're okay. I accept them. But we turn back into our circle. That's not how Jesus lived. Jesus deliberately went out of his way to find people who were out and to almost drag them into his circle. He didn't just make a little space and say, well, if they want to come in, they can. He went and found them and dragged them in. Jesus made the first move almost all the time. He didn't wait to be invited into the lives of those who are out. He invited himself into their lives. There are stories where Jesus will say to someone, I'm coming to your house for dinner. Who does that? And not I'm coming to your house because you're popular and you're, you know, I want to be there. You wouldn't invite me to your house for dinner because you know that I would say no because no one wants to come to your house to dinner. I'd like to come to your house to dinner. We're coming tonight. Set the table. And he told those who wanted to follow him, 
He looked at anyone who was standing in front of him who wanted to follow him and he said, go and do the same. One of the things that really set Jesus apart was the way that he accepted people who were not like him. And for 2,000 some years, one of the things that has set followers of Jesus apart is the way that they have accepted people who are not like them. People who'd never felt loved, people who'd never felt accepted, people who never felt in were suddenly loved and accepted and in. And then those people reached out to other people who were not loved or accepted and in, and they invited them in. And then those people reached out to others who were not loved or accepted and in, and they brought them in. And it went on and on, generation after generation after generation. Romans joined, Greeks joined. Women joined, poor people joined, disabled people joined, awkward people joined, white people joined. Because Jesus wasn't white, right? You know that? And 2,000 years later, Gail Williams leaves the comfort of an OT job in London and picks up her stuff and moves to Afghanistan to help a bunch of disabled kids that you will never know anything about. Was that worth dying for? Gail Williams would say, absolutely it was. She knew the risks. Only three weeks before her death, she was at the funeral of another aid worker in the same organisation who was killed. Only three weeks before, she said, bury me here next to this person if I'm to die in Afghanistan. I want to finish speaking to two groups of people today. I want to speak to those of us who are in and to those of us who feel like we're out. I want to speak to those of us who are in, those of us who have a solid circle around us, those of us who have a place where we feel like we belong, where we feel connected, where we feel loved and accepted, where a place where we feel like life is good. And I want to say as clearly as I can, if that's you today, be Thankful. Be incredibly thankful for the family and the friends or the work colleagues, or whoever it is around you that makes you feel that way. Be thankful for those people. Be thankful for the, the sense of connection and community for that place of belonging that you experience. But don't stay there. Don't stay there. If you believe in God, if you follow Jesus, then you have a responsibility to open your circle and to invite others in, to actively invite others into your circle. And I know what you're thinking, but that's awkward. But I'm not good at meeting new people. I don't know what to say. I just like my circle the way it is. And if that's you, I get that. I get all of that. There are places in my life where I feel in and I feel the same way. I'm not telling you this because this is what I think and I think it's a good idea. I'm telling you this because this is what Jesus said.
This is how Jesus lived. And this, I mean, Jesus was incredibly clear to his followers. This is how I want you to live. Matthew writes down another story, another, um, yeah, another story that, that Jesus shared. He writes it down like this, Matthew 25. This is the words of Jesus. When the Son of Man, which is the way Jesus referred to himself, where the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels are with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from the other as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. It's a grand picture of sort of the end of time where Jesus comes on the throne. It's a uh, it's a picture of kind of a, a victor conquering the world and separating people before him. This is how Jesus is going to judge people at the end of time, he's saying. Verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Great picture. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And then the righteous, those who are in the, the good group, the righteous will answer him, Lord, um, when did we see you hungry and feed you? I don't remember that time. When did we see you thirsty and give you something to drink? I don't remember that time either. When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick and in prison and go and visit you? I can't even remember the time you were in prison. And the king will reply, Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he'll say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed. This is really, it's kind of, this is one of those stories where Jesus is using overly strong language to make his point. Depart from me, you who are cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. And they also will answer, Lord, when did we see you? I mean, we never had a chance. I don't ever remember seeing you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or in need of clothes or prison. I can't remember any of that. If I knew, I would have, right? And he will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment but the righteous to eternal life. It's big, bold language from Jesus. He's trying to be as clear as he can. He's painting the picture as starkly as he can, as black and white as he can. And if you hear those words and feel like that's hard, let me remind you that Gail Williams knew it was hard too. Gail Williams and thousands of people throughout history have known it's hard, but they did it anyway. Because they knew that's what Jesus was calling them to do. 
I also want to speak to those of us who feel out. You feel like you don't look right. You don't dress right. You feel like you don't have a circle. You look at others in their circles with a kind of sadness. Wish I had that. When you hear Jesus talking about the least, that feels like it's you. And if you feel like that in any way, in any part of your life, I want to say, I'm deeply sorry. I've been there when I was in uh, primary school and early parts of high school. I remember how much that hurts. But I also want to say to you, if you feel like that at all, that Jesus knows you, he sees you, and he loves you in that. Jesus pictures himself as, uh, as a father uh, sort of standing before children with open arms saying, come, come to me. Just like a father before a kid who's crying saying, come here, come here. You know, sweep a child up in their arms and say, I'm here, it's okay. Jesus says, come, there's a place in my circle for you. But if that's you in any way, I want you to hear Jesus also says, don't stay there. Don't stay there. Don't stay in your sadness and your loneliness and your outness. After Jesus' death and after his resurrection, as he prepares to leave earth, he gathers all his followers together. And this is his final speech. Picture it like a coach at three-quarter time before the final quarter. This is his speech. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, looking at the people before him, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely, surely, I am with you always to the end of the age. If you love God, if you've decided to follow Jesus with your life, you are a part of Jesus' mission to the world. And his call on your life is to get out there and get involved. That's not a mission for popular people. That's not a mission for people who are in. That's not a mission for people who are social. That's a mission for every follower of Jesus. Don't stay where you are. When Jesus draws his huge circle on the ground and says, everyone in, it's the same circle that he draws on the ground and says, everyone who's inside this circle is a part of my mission to save the world through the message of my love and grace. The truth, of course, is that when we talk about these lives of being in and being out, the truth, of course, is that most of us have somewhere in our lives where we feel in and somewhere in our lives where we feel out, isn't it? The truth is that most of us, you might, maybe you feel uh, sort of in when you're at home or with your family, but you feel out when you're at school. Maybe you feel in when you're in a, a church community or a Christian community like this, but you feel out when you're at work. Maybe you feel in when you're at work, but for you, home and family is a place where you feel out. 
And so the reality is probably all of us have places in our lives where we need to reach out and draw others in. And equally, probably all of us have places in our lives where we need to know the love of Jesus drawing us in. What I want you to see this morning is that this call of Jesus on our lives isn't just something that's nice to do. It's not something that's just for friendly or outgoing or social people. We all know someone like that, don't we? You know, you've all got that person who anytime they're in a group, they're always connecting people. And, you know, it's not, this is not just something for those people to do. This isn't just something for adults to do or cool people to do or rich people, whoever, right? However, this is not just something for other people to do. This is a core part, a central part of who Jesus was. This was one of of the core things that made Jesus so different and so extraordinary. This is one of the central things about Jesus that make him known to us 2,000 years after his life and death. And this is a core part, has always been a core part of life for anyone who says, I want to follow Jesus. And this is a core part of the church today. Church, I mean the church, the the, the collection of God's people on the earth today. I mean, as for this church, we intend to be a church, we intend to be a group of people that are open to anyone. We intend to be a group of people without circles. We intend to be a group of people where everyone can feel in. We want this to be a place where everyone can feel they belong. But we also want to be a church, we also want to be a group of people who are reaching out, who are reaching beyond our circles, who are reaching out into our workplaces, into our schools, into our neighbourhoods, into our, you know, places where we play netball and football and, you know, whatever it is. We also want to be a church or a people where everyone is involved in Jesus' mission to share the love of God with the world. And so the invitation for today is, will you join us? Not will you join us because we've got, you know, kind of something we're about to roll out and do. Will will you join us? Will you follow Jesus in your own life and open your own circles to other people? Will you actively reach out and invite others in? Will you join Gail Williams and thousands of people like her who will live a life that is worth dying for?